ask, Lord God, as you bless this study, that we will be enriched from it, from all the things that you teach us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As always, we like to say welcome to those who are online. Uh, I've already said welcome to the ones that are in the room, but if we could give a hand clap for those who are online and welcome them that are watching from all sorts of places and spaces. Uh, quick brief note, uh, if you are watching with us online, even if it's after, we'd like you to share, like and share this as well as interact on the chat room afterwards. Let us know that you're paying attention. Uh, if this is your first time, you can get the notes that we'll be going over at www.encounter360.org or you can send us an email at connect at encounter360.org n-n-e-c-t at encounter360.org and you can look under our live stream and you'll be able to see the notes for tonight and go along with church and the actually everything's already loaded so you don't even need a bible how about that everybody so we're going to get started this is a two-part study tonight it may take a little longer but some things kind of came in with some current events and so tonight's topic is number one part one everybody say god will provide Part two says, what does God say about the sanctity of life? We're tonight, well, on the second end, uh, some hot button topics, but we're not going to have a political discussion, but we're going to have a biblical discussion because some of the things in the text opened up just a simple question. And so we're going to go through that. So we welcome you all and hope that everybody stays to the end. Like and share this broadcast. It helps us to get the gospel out and we're going to get started. You guys ready? because we have a lot of scriptures today. We're going to start at Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1, and I think we're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we may not read the whole chapter just yet, but let's go down at least through verse uh, verse 8. As a matter of fact, we're going to go a little further. We're going to go down to verse verse 19. We're going to go all the way to verse 19. So a little bit of reading, but let's go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and carried he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, and because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, pay attention to that phrase. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take the possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abram returned to his servants, Abraham, and they set together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. For those of you who are just joining us, part one of this study will be called God Will Provide. Part two is the sanctity of life. And as we get ready to read this as a, a clear overcap uh, or recap, rather, we talked about that the overarching theme is the promise. What? What's the S word? The promise. What? Seed. It's the promise. Seed. That mankind has fallen and God has given a promised seed. We saw that in Genesis 3.15. You will, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. This is about the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so when we read the Bible, we need to always be reading, thinking about the storyline that God is working to redeem us to himself. We are seeing the process. And now we see a problem because God has promised Abraham a seed. Uh, but the problem is Abraham decided to make a seed with somebody else. <laughs> and now God has told him to send that seed away. And it seems like at that part of the storyline, all would be good. But all of a sudden, we see God speak to Abraham and say, Yes, Lord, I need you to do something for me. What is that, Lord? Remember the promised seed I told you that, that your seed and Sarah's seed are going to bless many nations? Yes, Lord. You know, the son that you, you had to choose and I made you give away the other son that you had spent about four years with and you had had very, uh, very close connections with. That was a painful separation, wasn't it, Abraham? Yes, it was, Lord. But I made you do it because Isaac's going to have the promise, right? Yes, Lord. I need you to do me a favor. What's that, Lord? I need you to take Isaac and kill him. You mean after I've given up one of my sons and I've waited all this time for your promise and now it seems like the promise came, has come through and now you're going to tell me to kill him? So in order to fully understand this chapter, we have to understand the word. Everybody said foreshadow. Foreshadowing is big in the Bible. And, and you can see that from the first notes. It is often said that the Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed. In other words, in order to properly understand the New Testament, you must first understand the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is a precursor to the New Testament. And the New Testament... Oftentimes, God reveals himself to us through prophecy. He gives us prophecy for things that cannot be seen years ahead of time. When Jesus came onto the scene, there were over 400 plus prophecies about the Messiah. All Why is this important? Because 
if men who didn't see God nor see Jesus can prophesy and predict that these things are going to happen, it is evermore God's message to us that he's there. God's always giving us nuggets that he's there. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the invisible things of God are there that are not seen, that, but we know that they're there so that they may be without excuse. In other words, God reveals himself through us, through his word. He reveals himself in different ways. And so and when you look at this, you see a foreshadowing because the whole part is about the promise what? Seed. So when you study the Bible, uh, everybody say keywords. Keywords are words that you hold on to in the Bible that if you read a chapter, that word or that phrase keeps showing up and up and up. And what do you notice? Did you notice any key song, uh, key phrase or key word that was in this chapter when we, that we were reading it? Your son. Your Not just your son, but your what? Your one and only son. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Where, where do we hear that in the New Testament? Can anybody tell me where we hear that in the New Testament? John 3.16. You're cheating because they put it on the screen. <laughs> Get it however you can. For God so loved the world, it is what? His of I is a foreshadowing. Everybody say foreshadowing. It's giving us a thought and a process. It's giving us a a show and all of a sudden something's about to happen in that show that's real dark and they turn the music to a real dark sound or it's time for a sad part or a crying part and you hear the violins playing it's foreshadowing it's letting you know what's coming up next and this is God's way of letting us know what's to come so the first thing he does is he says here I am God says hey Abraham he says here I am he's excited why because God's finally giving him what he wants but he wasn't expecting God to say, that thing that I gave you, I need So the first question in number one, it says, here I am. We often say, here I am, before God gives the details. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we can run off, get saved, run off, uh, and we say, I'm saved, and my hands look new, and my feet do too, uh, and I'm going to have a brand new life, and things are going to be great, and then you start reading things in the Bible, like Luke 9 and 23, if any man would follow me, he must first pick up his cross and follow me daily, and you're like, wait a minute, I, did, I didn't sign up for this, and then you go on down, and it says, those that live godly must going to have the best life of, uh, of all. And you go over to Jesus' brother James and he said, you know, count it all joy when you fall in. Not if you fall in, but when you fall into all sorts of trials. And, and you say, I jumped in before I what? I read the details. That's why Jesus says that before any man follows me or any man builds a building, he must first what? Count up the cost to see if he can finish that building lest people will come and say ha ha that he made this building and he could not finish so that's a that's a that's an aside that wasn't in the lesson but that's something for us today many of us i think may go behind following christ and people fall away from the faith but because we didn't give them a good presentation of the gospel they didn't really count up the what costs they didn't really know what they signed up for. We just told them, if you give your life to Jesus, all your problems will go away. But sometimes God requires some things from us that are not what? Comfortable. Everybody say, prepare for discomfort. 
Sometimes in your Christian walk, we don't like to talk about that, but God will give us some things that challenge us. They challenge our ways of thinking. They challenge our preconceived notions and our previously held dispositions. And God is going to challenge some things, not for his sake, but for Abraham's sake. So we see that phrase in verse two, and this is question number two. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Does this phrase sound familiar? We just talked about that. And we talked about where in the New Testament that phrase is. That answer is John 3, 16. But we see two things in verse 2 in this text. The one thing we see is that we see that he's called him his only son. Does anybody see a problem with this statement? What's the problem with that? How many sons does Abraham have? Abraham has two sons. But yet he says, take your what? One and only son. Well, God doesn't contradict himself. So what does he mean by that? There must be a deeper meaning. So what we have to look at is, although he has two sons, he is not talking about the numerical value. And we'll see that in our study. He is talking about his position and his worth in receiving the promise. He is the only one who's going to receive the promise. Well, is that parallel or foreshadowing of Jesus? Yes, it is. Because if we go over into Hebrews eleven seventeen, it talks about Isaac. Can you guys pull up uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen if if they have it? Let's re let's read it together. What does it say? By faith, when Abraham when Abraham when God tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Now I know you don't speak Greek except for Brother Bob. He he speaks Greek, and that's because he's Macedonian. He can understand Greek, but the for the rest of us <laughs> in here, we don't understand Greek. But that word that they use is the same one that is in John three sixteen, and that word is it is I believe it's monogenous. If I'm looking correctly at that word, why is it important to know that word? It is monogenous. Everybody say monogenous. Because we often talk about in other languages, words mean the different things. We have five different words in Greek for love. We have storge. Storge is like a brotherly love or philos is a brotherly love. We have eros, a passionate love and things like that. Agape, which is unconditional love. We just say, I love my cat. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love my husband. It loses something in, in translation. But what monogenous literally means is that he's unique. In other words, God gave his only son that Jesus is unique or better translation is there will not be another like him. And so when we see Isaac, there will not be another like him because Isaac is the the. He's the link between Abraham and Jacob. It's not about him, but it's about the seed that lies in him. He is going to carry the promised seed. So he is saying, take this, this boy who carries the promised seed, and I need you to sacrifice him. It speaks to his uniqueness and also the uniqueness of Jesus, that there will not be another. We have to tell people the truth, and we try to be nice, but the truth is, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, I am the door. What is he saying? That if you're going to get to heaven, this is a controversial statement today, but what Jesus is saying is if you're going to get to heaven, there's no other way that men may be saved but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is unique. There won't be another way to heaven. 
You can try all sorts of things and all sorts of spirituality. You can try new age and thinking positive and the law of attraction. You can try crystals. You can do all those things. But no man is coming to, get to the father except they go through the son. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, he tells him to take him to a place called Moriah, and Moriah has a lot of biblical uh, significance because not only is Moriah the mountain where he's the sacrificing son, but does anybody know where the temple, the first temple was placed? It was placed on Mount Moriah. David was on the threshing floor when he got the revelation from God to build the temple and the temple was placed on Mount Moriah. It's in Jerusalem. And, and here's the thing. Some scholars even believe that it is close to the hill where Jesus, the, the final on that hill of the skull that is called Golgotha. And if you go to Jerusalem now, there is a hill that is actually made in the face. If you look at it in the face of they believe that Jesus actually died. And it's important to look at word study. Everybody said Mariah. Mariah. In our English, we don't hear much there. But if you hear the English, hallelujah. If you see something like Elijah, that means Eli, my God, Jah, or Yahweh, or Yah is God. My God is God. So when you hear Ah on the end of something in the Bible, a lot of times it is indicating a word of, of, of God. And this Mariah literally means that it is seen of Yah or that the Lord sees. It's seen of Yah or that the Lord sees. Um, that's in, number, in your number four. And it's possibly also the phrase that the Lord is my teacher. This is important for this story because when a teacher gives a test, what does a teacher do? He teaches you everything to you to know. Teachers, what? Quiet. They're observing the see. And sometimes the teacher knows how when he found Abraham as Abram in Ur, he was still the men so I won't be killed. Abraham is growing up into somebody much vastly different than who he has become. Why is that important? Because I need to speak to somebody who doesn't feel like you're where you need to be in God. Just because you're not there now doesn't mean that you won't get you growing in God. So he says, I need you to take him, Abraham, to Moriah or where I see or the Lord is my teacher because there's some things I need to teach you. Now, I'm amazed at how how well that Abraham obeyed because it shows how we should obey God. Because he doesn't say, Lord, this is my only son, because by this time, Abraham's faith has grown up enough to know he gave me a son when it wasn't possible for me to have a son. And if he did it before, he can what? Do it again. If, if he takes him, he's able to what? Give him back. So it's important that we know that, and I'm stepping on one of my questions later, but that's important that we see Abraham's faith is what? Growing. As, as you, the Bible says, he gives each man a what? Measure of faith. But your faith can grow. How do I know that? The Bible says faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing the word of God. So just from leaving this Bible study, somebody's faith should be increased if you internalize and ingest this and say that I am building up my most holy faith through the word of what? God. 
So we look at verse three of how he doesn't obey and hesitate to obey God. And I ask you a question in verse uh, number five. How do we respond when God pushes us beyond our comfort? Mm. We say, Lord, I'll follow you until he asks us to do something that may cost us our friends, job or our popularity, or it might get us canceled. followers on Facebook? <laughs> Are you willing to give up for the cost of Christ? Because we gave you a foreshadowing. Aha! Those who live godly must suffer what? Persecution. And we are in a post-modern post-Christian society that you are not the majority. You may be about 50-50, but the world is antagonistic towards Christianity. So if you're going to follow Christ now, you're going to be on the hot seat. And at some point in time, you may be asked to choose. How do we respond when God's request pushes us beyond what's comfortable? Now, let's look at verse four again. He says, I am verse four. 22 and 4 says this. He says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, wow, this is amazing faith. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then come back to you. Back to you. He very well, even if he kills his son, that God's can you prove that? Yeah, we're going to prove that in a couple of questions uh, <clears throat> down in question number six, because it's written in the Bible. We don't have to guess or give, uh, be subjective. Uh, it's actually in the Bible. It tells you what was on Abraham's mind. We're going to go to that in a second. So it shows faith that Abraham says, I'm going into an uncomfortable situation, but I trust that God is going to bring me out of it. Do you not know that every part of your life will not be roses? Everything you go through in life will not be fun. It will not be easy. And as a matter of fact, sometimes when you follow Jesus, some things in your life will have to die. Some relationships may have to be sacrificed. Some connections. Some may be sacrificed because every good opportunity is not a God opportunity. Somebody needs to put that in the chat. Everybody say, everybody, every good opportunity, every good opportunity. is not a God opportunity. Not a God opportunity. There may be some things that you thought you wanted to do, but God doesn't have it in the cards for you. And if you're going to be obedient to him, you may have to sacrifice some of your wants for him because, oh, Jesus. I love how Paul says it. He says, I am crucified with Christ. <laughs> In other words, I am crucified with Christ. No longer I live, it's his will in me. Jesus said it this way about the Father, nevertheless not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Christianity is a subverting of your will. This goes antagonistic towards what we teach in modern day Christendom because a lot of it is about materialism. A lot of it is about gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, or, or how I can be blessed and how much stuff I can get. But Jesus is often saying, if you're going to follow me, it's not about how much you can get, but how much you can give and give up for the kingdom. If you're going to follow me, pick up your cross. There are some things that have to die. If you're going to follow me, count up the cost. There are some things to follow in me. 
The bed feels, you know, the best time that the bed feels Sunday morning. There is no time that your pillows are so comfortable than Sunday morning or your feet so tired than Wednesday evening or whenever your Bible study is. That's the time when you feel the most. You can come up with every excuse. We'll go to, to anybody's job for a few dollars an hour and we'll kill ourselves to go to that job. But when it's time to serve God, we get tired. We make excuses. Everybody's tired. I'm pretty sure it's tiring holding a crossbeam on your back. I'm pretty sure it's tiring hanging on a cross from the sixth to the ninth hour for something that wasn't even your fault. But he showed us through his example what? Sacrifice. And so it's important that we give what? Sacrifice. We were talking about that in praise team rehearsal this week. I said, everybody was tired. And I said, that's why it's called the sacrifice of praise. David said, I will not give to the Lord anything that did not cost me something. Don't give God something cheap. Make it last. Give him something that means something. Lord, I'm not feeling like worshiping today. So I'm going to worship the hardest I ever worshiped in my life. I'm not feeling like going to church today. So I'm going to be there when they open the door because I'm showing you that you are more important to me. I'm not saying that you should kill yourself or, or be foolish. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you're following Christ for real, for real, everybody say for real, for real. Somebody turn write that in the chat. I like that for real, for real. If you're for real, for real following Christ, your level of commitment gets turned up. Let's go over to the next part. Moriah means seen of God. So he's going up. He has the faith. And after a while, this boy isn't dumb. He says, Daddy, we're going up. We got the wood. We don't have a sacrifice. Um, you mind telling me what a sacrifice is? He's probably getting a little nervous by this point. And I, I, I saw something else in this, in, in, in number six. It says, Abraham was going to Mount Moriah where the temple would be. Can you imagine having to cut the wood to sacrifice your own son? The Bible says he cut the wood to sacrifice his own son. How far are you willing to go to be in the will of God? Whew. He cut the wood to kill his own son or what he thought he was going to do. He's being tested. God's not going to make him do it. But at the same time, how far were you willing to go to be committed to God? What times have you had to trust God in troubling situations? Have you ever had to trust God and the news that you got from the doctor or from somebody else was less than ideal, but you have to raise your hand and say, God, I'm going to worship you and do what you say anyway, even though I feel like you can't hear me right now, but I don't walk by my feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight. Has anybody ever had to trust God when you couldn't trace young boy? Mm. Can you imagine having to cut the wood and what's going through your mind? Why are you chopping? Why are you going through the process? Why are you going through the breaking and the crushing? 
Do you not know that if you're going to follow Christ for real, for real, I think that's going to be the our word for the night. For real, for real. If you're going to follow Christ for real, for real, there has to be a crushing and a breaking. Gone are the days, thanks to COVID, and if anything else comes from COVID that was positive, that people in the church are genuinely wanting to be in the church. There has been a great sifting and a shifting away of people who casually serve God. And now, if you're showing up on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning, these are people who love God for real, for real. These are people that say, God, I, I, I trust you and I serve you, even when it's not comfortable. Even when you take me through a process, we'll chop that's not comfortable. Because do you not know that a call to Christ is a call to die? He won't ask you to sacrifice your son, but he will ask you to sacrifice yourself. I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, Romans 12, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I put it in, the, in today's term. It's your job. You're not doing anything special because you showed up to church. You don't get a cookie because you paid your tithe. You don't get a pat on the back because you said your prayers or you've been faithful to God. It's your job. If you name the name of Christ, that's what you're supposed to do. Everybody say, I'm supposed to do that. A lot of times we serve God looking for affirmation that we fathers, hoping that if we serve, we'll get a good job on the back. But God is looking for people that if they never get patted on the back, they will serve Christ because they're not in it for the accolades. They're in it because they love God. Number seven says, Abraham shows immense faith and uh, pull up Hebrews 11 through 19. I want you to see this. This is what we were talking about. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. Let's read that. It says, by faith, Abraham, when tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You see that key word again? Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Another foreshadowing. Because the son was received back from what? Death. Paul calls Christ the firstborn of the what? Dead. He's the first to rise, be risen from the dead. Now, other people in the Old Testament and New Testament, men laid hands or spoken, people rose from the dead. But nobody laid hands on Jesus. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now leaves on the what? Inside of you. Abraham had great faith. Sometimes you got to remember what God did for you so you can remember what God is going to do in front of you. If he gave life to a dead womb, certainly he can give life to a dead boy. Oh, Jesus. Sarah was 90. 
She laughed at the prospect because her womb was dead and no longer gave life. She had gone through a biological change, apparently, and she wasn't able to have kids in the first place. But he saw God give life to a dead womb so he and give life to a dead body, which was his because he was as good as dead in his body. And so he figured if God could give life to those dead situations, maybe he'll give life to this one. He had figured it out. God, maybe you're testing me, but I'm going to trust you. Some of us have have to learn to say, God, some of the things I'm going through, I don't understand them. They do not make sense, but I'm going to trust you anyway because I can I can see all the things that you brought me through. Victor, you had spots in your life where you shouldn't have been, you should have been dead, haven't you? But he still kept you. Many of us have had, had options obstacles in our life or instances where we should have been locked up or lost things or we should have lost our mind. We've lost family members. Some of us lost family members back to back to back. All sorts of tragic things. But you have to remember that if God brought you through one, he'll take you through the other one. It's just the building of your faith. James says, <coughs> count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Woo. Why? Because the trying of your faith worketh patience. You are being transformed. Everybody say I'm being transformed. Don't look at your trials as a curse. Look at your trials as a blessing and a transformative opportunity to transform your life. And when you come on the other side, you'll be somebody different than you were before. And so he gets to the point where he gets ready to sacrifice Isaac. And I want you to see one other thing. He puts the wood on Isaac's back. Everybody said foreshadow. foreshadow. Where do we see that in the New Testament? Who puts the wood on his back and goes up the hill to be sacrificed? <coughs> oh, thank you for the cross of Christ. God is giving us a foreshadowing many, many years before it actually happens to let you see within the text what is happening. He laid the wood on Isaac's back. And here's the thing. Isaac, by this time, is not a young boy. Isaac is at least a teenager. Isaac is not just going to lay on the altar and let you kill him. But the Bible says that he bound Isaac. He's a hundred and some years old. So the only way he can bind Isaac is if Isaac allowed himself to be what? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, but yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus had the power to free himself. If you be the son of man, come down off of that cross. But the Bible says he opened not his mouth. We see the story of the redemptive seed right here in the story of Abraham and Isaac. He went up the hill willingly to be sacrificed. That's why he says, if any man come after me or, or, or a better scripture that I want to give you, Romans chapter 12, verse. You present your body as a living sacrifice. You you willingly have to get on the altar. I willingly have to kill my addiction. You can lay your hands on me all you want. But something on the inside has got to want it. Somebody, somebody type in the chat and somebody say, hey, you got to want it. 
you got to want to change. You got to want to sacrifice. You got to want to say, God, I want to be a better person. And when that happens, God will bless. Can you see the foreshadowing and what's happening in here? And verse six says, Isaac is carrying that wood. That's a huge foreshadowing. Think about what he did for you. Do you know how horrible it is? This boy is figuring it out. He already carrying the wood on his shoulders and he stopped in the middle of probably halfway up the hill and said, wait a minute. We got wood. You got a knife. We'll have a lamb. Where's the sacrifice? Oh, the Lord will provide. I said, oh, no, he won't. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. I'm, I'm going back down the mountain to stand with the rest of the people. And when you come down, you let me know. You going up there and worship. I got a headache. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't, I don't feel like going to the altar. But Isaac is starting to figure this out. But yet he still walks up the hill. He still allows himself to be bound. And then he lays on the altar. And the Bible says as he raised his hand, he's down to the end. Right before his hand comes down, God sends an angel to say stop. In the Hebrew, it's an indicator that it says the ram of the bush, but it says he looked behind him. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. God already had a plan for him. He already had a plan. In place. Behold the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Everybody say he had a plan. He already had a plan for you. Romans 5 and 8. And God demonstrates or commendeth his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ what? He died for us. Everybody say he had a plan. Oh, aren't you glad that God had a plan? Because if you like me, you know you don't deserve anything but death, hell, and the grave. But oh, thanks be to God that he had a plan. Oh, be thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You had a plan to do everything that you were big and bad and bold enough to do. That was your plan. To do whatever felt good. Do what thou will. To have your own life and to do what you like. And, and, and to be going to get back and pay evil for evil and be like Hammurabi, eye for eye. That's what you had, but God had a plan for you. Remember the old song said, I went got a hold of me. Isn't it amazing that sometimes God's plans can interrupt our plans? Aren't you glad for a sovereign God that stopped you on your way, on your road to Damascus and knocked you off of your beast and saved you in the midst of your trouble? Saved you in the when your mind wasn't on God, how do I know your mind wasn't on God? Because the Bible says there is not one righteous. No, not one. And then he came back to say, no man seeks God. No, not one. You wasn't looking for God. God was looking for you. Oh, Jesus. Aren't you glad when you weren't looking for God? God was looking for you. He died for you. says God's the mouth to the mountain of the Lord your
see how the outcome is going to be. Because even when you follow God, even when it looks like you're going to lose, there's that phrase again, even when I lose, I what? Win. Even when I lose, I win because Christ is within. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Somebody needs to put that in the chat. We might not get the part two tonight because I want you to know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think if you would just trust him. Even when it looks like the knife is becoming going to come down just in the nick of time, Christ will snatch you up and he will save your life. You may be watching this right now with an addiction. You may have some secret sins that you're hiding and you may feel that I can never have any hope and I'm on the way to hell. I've come to tell you right now it's your nick of time. God wants you to know right in the nick of time, even now I can save you. Somebody say, even now. Even now with the needle in your arm. Even now with the bottle in your hand. Even now while you're unbuttoning your shirt. Even now God can save you right now in the nick of time. Jehovah or Adonai Yara, God. looking for a way to get out of the situation you're in. He says he will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able, but he will provide an escape for us. He will provide a way of escape. If you're in a lifestyle you want to get out of, God can provide a way of escape for you. All you got to do is want we can't make you one. And I've been talking to people. It's, it's hard for a pastor because we try to make people come to church. We try to make people want God. We try to make people show up. Sometimes we call people and we won't say stuff, but we we really call them because we're saying, I want you to know I see you. Been and I, I just want to let you know I, I, it's on my mind and I, I ain't going to bring it up. But I know you're going to think about it when I see it and you're going to give me a good lie for why you haven't been there. But after a while, you got to stop calling people. You know why? Because if you're going to come to God, God's already called you. He's already done the work. Now you got to determine that you want. You got to submit to him. You don't seek him. But he's come to you. And now that he's come to you, you have to submit to him. Call on the Lord while he yet may be found. There will be a time when you call on the Lord and he will not answer you. There will be a time when many will have weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't like to talk about that, but it's the truth. And if they call on the Lord, he will not hear them anymore because he's given them time to hear them. So if you're listening under the sound of my voice, by podcast, I'm not worried about being politically correct. I'm not worried about being seeker sensitive because I see people every day headed into the midst of hell. And I say, call on the Lord while he may be found. Call on him and he may answer you. You are headed for disaster, but Jesus can save you even now. Even in the nick of time. Now for part two. Culture corner. And the reason I did is I often don't talk about things that are going on in the culture. I believe that the Bible is relevant. And somehow when we open up the word of God, it speaks to us. Right now, I feel like somebody's on the verge of giving their life to God. Before we go forward, I want you right now, if you're in this building, can you guys lift your hands? 
If you're on, on, online, somebody shout even now, right now, if you're listening to me, even if it's after this broadcast and it's not li live, your even now is now, right now, while you're listening to me. Give your life to Jesus right now. I promise you that your life will be all the better. It doesn't mean everything in your life will be good. It doesn't mean everything will be roses and sunshine. But it does mean that God will give you new life, more life abundantly in this life and the next, that you will have peace that passes all understanding. You will have strength to make it through all the storms of life and most of all your soul will be saved if you need to be saved somebody shout save me write it in the chat and write save me the bible says that the lord is mighty to save lord we pray that you save right now in the name of jesus help lord be healing Save those who want to come to you right now where you sit, even on your bedside right now. Yes, I'm talking to you. You can get on your knees right now and say, I want to be saved. I surrender right now. Surrender to the Lord. And he will save you. And if you did that, even if you've been in church and people think that you're saved and you've been faking it, I want you to be bold enough to write out there on the chat or send me a message and say, I just got saved. Today, thank you. The spirit of worship in this place. The spirit of God is in this building. He's manifesting in this building. The spirit of God is omnipresent, but it's wonderful when He manifests in life. But there's a looming question in our study tonight. Abraham. Somebody might ask the question that doesn't know God or know the Bible that well. How does how does God view human sacrifices? We'll go through the scripture. To be able to look at that, to view that. This is not a political view. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I really am not concerned about your politics. The Bible is what I go by. I don't go by the donkey or the elephant. I go by the size it. He had a ram in the bush already had an intent to sacrifice Isaac. The text raises questions like this, though, and we need to see that God hates abuse, killing and children. Everybody go to Proverbs 6, chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, and we'll read it. <laughs> Let's read it together. We're going to read quite a few scriptures. Let's go. These are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detested, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Mm. Is not a child innocent? God hates. Leviticus chapter 18, 21. We're going into some other scriptures. I read all testaments. 
for you must of your God, I am the Lord. Molech was what we would call the abortion God. People would sacrifice their children to Molech, who was the Ammonite false God. And we know from our studies in, in the New Testament that the Bible says that those who worship idols actually worship what? Demons. <laughs> so it's demonic to throw your children to Molech. It is demonically inspired to kill an innocent child and to try to make it sound nice and to make it sound pretty. I'm going to call it what it is. Everybody says murder. It's murder. Abortion is murder. Now, we may go into some other things, and we'll get to the grace later. We're going to get to that. We're going to end on that. But we call it what it is. Genesis verse 9, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. What does it say? Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Genesis 1.27 says, and God made man in his what? Image. When you are destroying an innocent life, even if it's not in the womb, they're made in the image of who? God, and you're taking something that you did not what? Give them this many months to live. Doctor doesn't have anything. Life existed. He can make God as Hezekiah. God can turn some things around. Go to Amos and let's see what it said. 13, verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and start. You guys can hop in with me if they can pull it up. The book of Amos chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1. Is, For three sins of Ammon will I not relent. In other words, I'm about to drop the hammer. Because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day, her king will go into exile, he and his officials together, says the Lord. So we can see that God is not... Section A says... Section 8. Life begins and is planned by God. Life. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. What does it say? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Before you were born. Before. Which came first, the chicken or the what? Yeah. Egg. When does life begin? Does it begin at conception or does it begin at birth? The answer is neither. Belly. I knew you. Look at Job chapter 10, 10, 8 to 12. Now, I think they're having some trouble with the screens, but that's okay. I'll read it if you guys can't get it, as long as it's getting out on the broadcast. That's fine. Job chapter 10, verse in your, in your book. That's on the 
What does it say? Your hand shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. Job's trying to reason with God. He says, I know that you knit me in the womb. That life comes you. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 2. It says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you, do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen. He who formed you where? In the womb. The womb is sacred. It is an incubator of life. God has given women a blessing that no other, other uh, men don't have that. Not naturally. <laughs> the ability. Mark looking like, oh, what are you going to say? <laughs> given a natural gift from God to be able to do that. I was of his article uh, that she put out in the newsletter about her giving her life to God and about her, her thought about having a, a child and what it meant to her to produce life. That's a special gift that God has given to women. The ability life is planned before conception children are a heritage from the Lord offspring a reward from him see it's supposed to say children are a gift from god children are a gift from god they're not a burden they're not a bill thank god that a boy that that uh that uh, adoption rates are going up you know why because there are many people who don't have the blessing of being able to have a child and they're grateful for somebody who's willing to give theirs as a child you see this all the time Think about in Egypt, a woman by the Nile who could not have her own child. And she saved her son from being a, her, her, she saved her son called Moses, for she drew him out of the water. He wasn't her birth son, but she raised him, his mother. We're going to talk about a lot of things come Mother's Day, but you, we're not going to, we're not going to give it away. Y'all just going to have to come. <laughs> let's look, let's keep going. Ezekiel chapter 6. Verse 20 and daughters whom you bore to me and your prostitution not enough. You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. God doesn't take lightly the mistreatment of children. Why? Because God is the giver of life. Everybody say he's the giver of life. Somebody write that in the chat. God is the giver of life. Hallelujah. Job chapter 12. Back to Job again. Job chapter 12, verse 10. He says what? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Elizabeth's mom, she made, she talked about breathing and how, uh, how when you think about breathing, that breathing is a reminder because God, he, he, he blew into man the breath of life and man became a living soul every time. 
a reminder. That was a powerful thought that that was thinking. This breath that I have belongs to God. And when you get ready to leave, what's the last thing that leaves you? Genesis 1 and 27, rather. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. If this is helping somebody or blessing you, somebody right in the chat or somebody in here can say it's blessing me. Are y'all enjoying this tonight? Genesis 1 and 27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I'm just going to read that again because sometimes we get a little confused nowadays. We need to read that and, and see how that, that works. See how God uses these pronouns. Let's let's see how, how Moses uses them. Let's, let's see. Let's read it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Referring to two people. Male and female, he created them. Referring to two people. The plural. He created and gave life. Man doesn't have the, re the right to take. Now, we understand in Genesis, by, if you shed man's blood, by man shall your blood be shed. There's a bunch of people. We're not getting to the death penalty argument and all that stuff tonight. But because this is going on right now and this is a hot topic, I think we as Christians need to know where we stand on the topic of abortion. And most of us are scared to say something. It is not a political issue. It is a biblical and a spiritual issue. And if your politics don't line up with your Bible, your politics need to change. Because your politics, Democrat or Republican, I don't care which one you are, they don't dictate your morality. God does. Your politics should not be your religion. The Bible is what you follow. Adulteration. Last thing, because or somebody on the chat may have had an abortion. You may have had those issues in your life. And I that if you've made that choice, that there's still grace for you today. Amen. There's not one person in here who hasn't done something worthy of death. All have sinned. So all are worthy or deserving what? Death. But it's because of the gift of God that we give eternal life. So I want to read this scripture as a comfort because I, I, I read sometimes and listen to some podcasts and listen to the thoughts of mothers who have aborted their babies and they still hear their screams and they hear phantom children crying at night and they can't get peace because they're guilty about what they've done. You can't take back what you've done, but God can cover you. God can love on you. There is hope. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Let's read this. It says what? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, our mistakes. We have tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, this is what I want you to get, and this is for everybody who's ever been in that situation 
or ever had any situation that you're ashamed of because we all have been there. This is a powerful scripture. I want you to take it and I want you to run with it and I want you to confess it because faith comes by what? Hearing. If, you, if you've had an abortion or if you've been through that or if you've committed a crime or if you've committed a murder or if you've done something or, or, or done something that, that you feel like is unlovable, you need to take this scripture and hold on to it. Hebrews God's throne. Let's all read it, that, that together because this is powerful. It says, What? Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Someone you abortion? There's grace for you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He has a comfort that surpasses all understanding. Scripture for the night. Philippians. Or Burton used to say when I was a child, you don't. Let's read it. Let's read what 4627 says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God would transcend in Christ Jesus. Hmm. If you've got guilt in your life, unconfessed sin, take it to God. Don't allow that guilt and anxiety to overcome you. Take it to God. Confess it to him. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, 1 John I believe it's 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, it's somewhere around there. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I want the last thing and the last thought to be Hebrews 4 and 16 tonight. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help us in our time of need. You need to have confidence and come to God. What does that mean? That I know when I come him, he's going to forgive. The Bible says that he who is forgiven much loves much. So if you think your sin is great, now's the time to pour out your love on Jesus and say, Lord, I thank you that you can forgive me and save me for whatever has happened in my life and give me peace. Right now, I'm praying for peace for those who've had to deal with those issues in life, who are still struggling with the thought and the guilt and condemnation from the choices that they've made. Not just abortion, but we all have a choice. You may not have aborted a baby, but you've aborted somebody's dream. You've talked about somebody behind their back. You've aborted somebody's hopes. You said negative things to somebody. You've aborted your future with some opportunities you've given away from being a foolish. Whatever you've aborted today, God has grace to help you in your time. Don't allow guilt and condemnation to keep you from it. God, we thank you that you grace-filled God. We thank you, God, that if we come to you and cry, you will save us. For your word says that those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We call on your name tonight. 
And I pray that this study will bless many, many people. You decide the volume. We don't, God. But let this study be shared over and over that it may bless people, God. That it will give healing to those. Lord God, that they will remember, number one, that you have gone through extraordinary lengths to bring your promised seed to save us, God, and that you will save us in the nick of time if we call on you, but also that if we've made mistakes in our life, that you are mighty to save and that you will give us grace to help in our time of need. We thank you for that, and we give you praise, and we thank you. We thank you that the Bible study is growing. We thank you for those that are watching online. It's growing in the building and it's growing online. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for that. And we pray for that everybody that hears these words will be blessed and find a blessing in it. We give you praise and thanks for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise tonight.